extended period of time during this pandemic, some have lost multiple family members. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as we get into the sermon. But the point of, uh, of, of, of complex trauma is that not only are you dealing with the death of a loved one, but you're also dealing with the loss of their income. You're also dealing with the impact that that person will have in, its, in his or her absence on your children. And so there are multiple kind of cascading emotional storms that are occurring as a result of trauma. And so trauma, trauma can be devastating. Now, what's interesting about what has happened over the last 18 months in this country, and in, I would extend it back to the last four years, there's not a single person that I'm talking to right now that has not been traumatized. We all have been traumatized. And of course, 18 months ago, COVID-19 uh, entered onto the scene. And at the very outset of it, there were 14 people that were identified in our country as having COVID. And, and we, we, we did not address it in the way that we should. And so 18 months later, we have 660,000 people that are no longer in the world. They're family members that will never be at the dinner table with you. There are people who were planning to get married and never made it to the altar because of COVID-19. And the, 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 what was added to this trauma is the fact that most of those deaths were preventable if people had simply been told to wear a mask by those who are in authority. We watched Derek Chauvin. The world saw it. Place his knee on the neck of George Floyd for over nine minutes while he cried as a grown man for his mother, and his cry went unanswered. That was traumatic. And what's, what's incredible about that is a nine-year-old girl was able to have the fortitude and in, 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 in enough uh, uh, a recognition that this needs to be recorded, that we had, we, had the, we had the opportunity to see what would have otherwise been swept under the rug. We watched that, and we were traumatized. We saw people protesting, and most of the protests were were, 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 were legal, they, 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 were, they, were, they, were, uh, they were properly executed in terms, there, were, there, were, there was no violence connected, and there were few. And we heard news reporters say whenever there was a protest associated with the death of George Floyd, that these were insurrectionists, that we should release the military on them, only to see on January the 6th Thousands of Trump supporters storming the Capitol in Washington as we watched in horror for some five to six hours, nothing being done to put a halt to their attempt to overthrow election results that they didn't agree with. I want you to know that we've been traumatized. <laughs> And the tough part about it is that didn't stop us from having to survive. That didn't stop most of us from having to work. Yeah, we worked in different contexts, but even how we were forced to work in, in, in different settings 
with children in, in, in tow, that in itself was traumatic. <laughs> Churches and businesses around the country have closed their doors permanently. Stores that we would never imagine businesses ending because of COVID. During these turbulent times, millions of Americans have lost their jobs, their homes. Their life savings have been depleted. And just four days ago in Florida, people sleeping in their beds, resting in their homes, their condominium homes. Well-to-do people woke up to a building that was literally crumbling and they could do nothing. There's still some 150 people unaccounted for, buried under the rubble. We have been traumatized. And you would hope that things would just calm down. And as soon as you take a breath and try to exhale, now you got a mass shooting or a child in a, in a car seat being shot in the head by Julians who think that we're now in the wild, wild west. You can't go to the store. You can't sit out in front of your house. We are in a state of trauma, y'all. I don't know how many people I'll be talking with them. And we just literally slow down and we take our mask off because we've been vaccinated. And they start talking about the, the kind of the superficial things. And the next thing I know, they are crying uncontrollably. And they well, I'm trying to get myself together. And they don't understand the reason why you have all this built up pressure to cry is because we've been forced to hold it in. We've been forced to hold it in. I want to talk beginning today about how do you turn trauma into triumph while you're still going through it. And the first thing that must happen as we're going to see in Psalm 56, is that we must readjust our focus from our pain to the presence of God. David said, this I know. In the middle of everything that's going on right now, I am crystal clear in my focus is that God, is for me. That'll give you hope in a time of darkness. That will be your compass when you feel like you're lost. God, the God of heaven, is for me. He's on my side, even though all these things are against me. Now, the backstory of Psalm 56 occurs in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David is on the run as a fugitive. Saul, the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, has put a contract out on David's life. The truth be told, David never signed up for what he was going through. He was minding his own business as a shepherd tending to his father's flock when his father called him in and said, Samuel the prophet wants to 
examine you to see if you are God's anointed. He was Jesse's youngest of eight sons, the one that Jesse had not even invited into the room. And the moment he entered into the room, the prophet Samuel said, you are God's anointed. And he poured the oil, the horn of oil on David's head, and he immediately was David, was, 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 was ushered into the role of being King Saul's successor. The problem was Saul didn't know that God had replaced him. And so David ends up being brought on to Saul, Saul's court to help Saul because Saul has some mental health issues. And, and David was his Xanax. He was the one who would play the instrument. This is before Xanax and Pofarol and some of these other medications. I'm, help me out, nurse. I'm getting ready to get, really embarrass myself. Adderall. I think I'm right there. Help me out. I'm still wrong. Okay, amen. Keep on moving. Keep it rolling. Anyway, before there was psychotropic medication, there was music. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. The Bible says after David slew giant, uh, the giant Goliath, and the women were saying, Saul has slain his thousands. Saul, and they were dancing. David, Saul has slain his thousands. Saul has slain his thousands. But David has slain his ten thousands. You know, David had only killed Goliath, and Saul hadn't killed anybody, but the point was they were singing a song. But when Saul heard the sisters singing and giving David more accolades than he was getting, the Bible says immediately he looked upon David with suspicion. So when David would be playing uh, 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 his instrument and singing, and the next thing he would find is a spear being flung near his ear by Saul to take him out. And so David had to flee for his life. And now he's in a place where he's running for his life, and after he thinks he's finally safe, he's taken into captivity by the Philistines by a king named Achish. So David is saying, God, I didn't sign up for all this trauma. This is complex trauma here. I lose my family. I'm on the run for, 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 for something I never did. I didn't ask for this, God. And so David is brought before Achish the king. And Achish knew that David had killed Goliath, their champion. And so here they have the enemy, the, 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 the fugitive that was the top on their list standing in their presence. And David knew his life was over. Another trauma, the fear of dying. And so Achish asked the question, why are you here before I make my decision about what we're about to do to you? And then David, the Bible says, he began to pretend that he was insane. He starts salabering in his beard. He starts saying, give me a 302. Get me involuntary, you know, evaluation. Get me in the psychiatric ward. He, he did it so well that Achish literally believed that David was crazy. I want you to know that during this pandemic, we've had to do some crazy things. Walking around with masks like we're bandits. <laughs> you know, standing at six foot uh, distance from people that we love. Uh, our loved ones dying in the hospital alone. I want you to know there's something crazy about that. Yeah. We've had 
to do things that we never thought that we would do just to survive. We wash down everything, things that we just normally would pick up and eat, or we don't do that anymore. And so here we have this David who knew from experience what it means to have complex trauma. Trauma is not new. The Bible says there's no temptation that has taken us, but such that is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will never allow us to be tested beyond what we are capable of bearing with his strength. And he said, I will make a way for you to escape so that you can bear it. And so, so David understood what we're going through. Now, why is it necessary for us to readjust our focus? I want you to know the reason why we have to be intentional about readjusting our focus is because Satan will try to deceive us. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden when he led Eve and Adam to sin against God. He lied. He deceived Eve. He said, you will not surely die. The serpent said in verses, uh, verse 4 and 5, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from, the, eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that your eyes will be opened and you become like him. God's jealous. So, so Satan will deceive us into thinking while you're going through all of this that, first of all, God doesn't care. Right. Why am I going through this if God really cared? If he really loved me, why? God doesn't care. The devil will lie about that. The devil will say that God isn't fair. He's punishing me for something I didn't do. I didn't cause COVID. My mother wasn't an irresponsible person. My, my, my relative didn't do anything to contract COVID. They were very cautious. But not only did they contract it, they died from it. God, you're not fair. Satan will deceive us into thinking that God wasn't there. If he was there, why did it last so long? Why did it hurt so bad? I don't know what you've been praying about to the Lord, and it just seemed like God just is ignoring your prayers. It'll make you think that God isn't there. You're just praying to empty space. That's the deception of the enemy. He will also try to convince you through deception that God has failed you when you need him most. He wasn't there for me. I prayed that she would get up. I prayed that he would be okay. I prayed that my job wouldn't be taken. I prayed that they wouldn't come and get my car. I prayed. He didn't answer that prayer, but yet you're still here. I want you to know that in spite of what we've gone through, it's still true that all things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's not about our wants. It's about his will. God is orchestrating every detail that has occurred over the last four years to bring us to a point where we will recognize that there is a God in heaven and he will not be mocked. We will serve him or else he will bring us to our knees. He'll shut us down. God shut the world down. And we still don't get it. Not only will Satan deceive us, and that's why we need to understand how to handle trauma, but he will also try to distract us. I like uh, what, uh, what, uh, what, what, what David said. He said, when I saw the wicked prospering, 
they just jumping on their planes and going to their, their private beach house and while, we, while, we, while we're quarantining. And when I saw how, in spite of how millions of Americans were losing their job, the profit margin for corporations were 500 and sometimes 1,000 percent. He said, when I saw how the wicked seemed to be getting away with their evil, it made my feet almost slip. I almost backslid. I almost left the church. Satan will use trauma to distract you. And David said, but when I turn my attention to the house of the Lord. Now, here's what we need to understand about trauma. Trauma, trouble is certain. Hello? Joe put it this way. He says, man is born of a woman for a few days. And those days are often filled with trouble. And what he's reminding us of this, is this, that life is short. The longest life, 110 years, the Bible says a 1,000 years is, is as one day, and one day is a 1,000 years. Nobody's even living for a day. So life is short, and Dale said, and trouble is certain. We're going to go through something. Jesus put it like this way. He said, I, I don't want you to be deceived. I know what, the, what these preachers said on TV. He says, but while you are in the world, you will have trials and temptations. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We don't want to get this twisted. We're going to go through. The Lord doesn't give us a get out of jail card. All of creation is travailing as a woman in labor. And the Bible says until we have been released from this body of sin under the curse of Adam, there's always going to be trouble. There's always going to be anguish. The good news is Jesus said, I have overcome. Yeah. And why it's important to us is that greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus because God is for me. And since he is, who can effectively stand against me? Oh, yes. They will stand against me. Weapons will be formed, but they shall not. They shall not prosper. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says, I, I will raise up a standard against him because he's my banner. God is my banner. Now, how can you adjust or readjust your focus when you're in the eye of the storm, I, 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 I just can see this woman, so she was sitting and watching TV on her green couch. And the next thing you know, the, the tornado hit and sucked her and the couch out of the door. And she said, when I woke up, the couch was on top of me, and I don't know how I got here. But she said, I thank God for his grace. The couch, said her home was flattened to the ground. But God said, let me let me cause you to escape or, or escort you, that's the word, out into safety. How do you readjust your focus? The first thing is in verses 1 and 2. Pray your way through your pain. Whatever is causing you pain, the prescription is to pray. 
David's prayer is, be merciful to me, God. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up, fighting all day to oppress me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, almost high. And now he shows us in those words how to pray your way through your pain. The first thing that needs to be true of your prayer is that it needs, you need to pray submissively. Submissively. He said, be merciful to me, to me. Now, the issue, again, when we understand David's story, he hadn't done anything wrong. But our human response when we go through our people that we love seem to be getting unfair treatment, we raise the question, why, God? But mercy takes the posture that, that asks another question, why not, God? Yeah. Mercy recognizes that if God were to simply operate on the basis of justice, we all would be consumed. And so mercy understands that when, when God extends it to us, we're getting something that we don't deserve, nor can we earn it. So we need to understand whenever you're going through something, it's not why are you allowing this to happen to me. It's, Lord, I'm not exempt from what is happening to me because I am a sinner saved by grace, and what I need in my circumstance is your pity. I need you to intervene. I need mercy. We need to pray submissively, not my will. That's submission. Not my will. This thing is hard. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of not hugging my grandkids. I'm tired of not being able to, uh, my kids will be graduating, can't even go to a grad. I'm tired of this. But Lord, I need mercy right now. Because the truth be told, we're not getting what we deserve, even with what has happened with the pandemic. Asking for mercy is like the picture of what took place with Derek Chauvin in the courtroom and the family of George Floyd. Justice, once the attorneys had presented their arguments and the verdict was in from the jurors, guilty as charged. Now the decision for the sentence is in the hands of the judge, and the judge must execute the letter of the law. But before he pronounces a sentence, mercy shows up. Uh, uh, character witnesses are allowed to speak on behalf of even Derek Chauvin. And so the judge, even though justice demands the maximum penalty that the law allows, when the character witnesses come, they are in the position to influence the final outcome of the sentencing on the judge who is operating out of justice. Thank God we don't have to just depend on justice. Mercy showed up in the courtroom. And Psalm 85, verse 10 said, mercy and truth have met together, and righteousness and peace have kissed. So justice is at the bench. Mercy is the character witness. 
and, and, and the two are diametrically opposed. You can't have both in the same room. They can't both agree. Justice demands penalty and retribution. Mercy demands forgiveness and, and second chances for people that are even guilty of what they've been charged. So how does justice and mercy kiss when they're so diametrically opposed? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we have one mediator between God and man, and that man is Christ Jesus. The judge is God. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we now have peace with God through Christ. And so God was ready to drop the gavel down on our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But when Jesus said, it is finished, tell to die, I want you to understand that he introduced mercy to God's judgment. And because of his death being sacrificial and satisfactory to God, mercy and justice kissed. And because... God allowed the two that are incompatible to come together through the shed blood of Christ. We now have peace with God. David was saying, let justice and mercy kiss in my circumstance. So we need to pray submissively. We also need to pray specifically. He said, so for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day to oppress me. My enemies would hound me all day. Now, there are three things that David says about in his prayer. He's very specific. He says, my enemies are on me 24-7. This pandemic stuff, this trauma stuff is on us 24 Every morning we wake up, especially when the former president was at all. What did he do now? We were living on pins and needles. Just be honest about it. A toy, a kid with a gun, a nuclear gun. And so David is specifically, my enemies, Lord, are attacking me 24-7. Not only are they active, Lord, but they are aggressive. They are in hot pursuit of me. I want you to understand the moment that you signed up to be a part of the family of God, the Bible says we must put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What that simply means is that you are in the army now. And the fact that you're in the army now, that the devil has made you one of his priorities. And he has assigned demons to you to aggressively pursue you, to prevent you. He can't keep you out of heaven but he can rob you of your destiny. He can rob you of your future if you allow. My enemies, he says, are allies working together against me. They have joined forces. Isn't it interesting how evil people can work together and godly people just don't ever seem to be able to come on one accord? How many of you know that God is not obligated to answer any prayer that we not ask? So the reason you have not is because you Ask not. He, 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 he says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. So the question is, how, ha how has your prayer life changed since COVID-19? I, I want you to know that you need to get specific to God. I talk to women, say, you want to be married? Say, nah, I'm just trusting God. Yes, you do. It's okay. Because I want to enter into that prayer with you and believe, God, that if you, believe, if you are convinced that that's what God has made his plan for your life to be, then you need to be coming into agreement with somebody. Yeah. We have not. 
Are you praying specifically? Have you learned how to develop a prayer list? And so the first thing is you need to pray through your pain, specifically and submissively. Here's the second thing. Place your trust in God. David said, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Notice David doesn't say he wasn't afraid. There ain't nothing wrong with being afraid. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools it. So fear, ain't nothing wrong with being fear, afraid. When I'm afraid, I get scared. He was a mighty man. He was a warrior, a valiant warrior. And yet he said, when I am scared, when I am trembling, when my knees are knocking, when I can't get my words right, when, when, when my hands are trembling because of terror, he said, what I do, I readjust my focus. I trust in you. It's okay to be afraid. Our problem is we waiting for fear to go away before we do something. No. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It is the refusal to come under its authority. I may be, my knees may be knocking. I may be scared, but I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on believing. I'm going to keep on serving. He said, so place your trust in God. When we were young and it was, it was storming at night, we were always scared of storms. Not me, but you know, I'm, I'm the oldest of all the kids, so I didn't want them to feel like they were left out. And so what we would do, all of us, we would just kind of like little, uh, you know, grab, grab, come to my room with the three other brothers in the same room. And then we, we, all, so we would make our, our way to our parents' room and we'd stand at the bottom of the bed. And we could hear the lightning, you could hear the thundering, you hear the rain. And we'd be standing out there. My stepfather said, get out of here. My mother said, let him stay. Now, here's the interesting thing. It kept raining. The lightning didn't stop because we were in our mother's room. But in, his, in, in their presence, we felt safe. When we were afraid, we trusted our parents. That's why we would go where they were. Do you know how to get in the presence of God when you're afraid? Have you ever really heard the voice of God in your own personal life? Have you ever been on a ship that seemed to be sinking because of your circumstance? Everything that you tried has failed, and you like Peter and the rest of the disciples. They said, Lord, we tried everything. Why are you sleeping? Do you care? And Jesus just kindly stood up to the side of the boat and said, peace be still. Has he ever spoken peace? over your situation, and you ended up saying like the disciples, what manner of man is this? What kind of God am I serving here? We need to learn how to get into the presence of the Lord and to hear his voice. He says, when I'm afraid, I trust you. I trust you for protection when I'm afraid. I'm not just trusting my Uzi. I'm not just trusting my... my, my alarm system. I readjust my focus. Trust him based on his promises. David says, your word will I praise. We say, I'm openly in the midst of my trauma. I'm going to proclaim the, the promises of God. The promises of God. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I can do all this. But in order to proclaim openly his promises, you got to know them. 
you got to take this word. They said, that word have I, what? Hidden in my heart. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. I hope this last 18 months has forced you to open up this word and to learn the promises of God that they are yes and amen. Precious and undefiled, trusting in him to punish your enemies. He says in, in, in verse 7, he says, shall they escape by, by iniquity? In anger, God cast them down. David says, no, the people who are attacking you 24-7, this trauma will be dealt with. Trouble don't last always. And so one of the things that we as we're trusting the Lord, I'm tr trusting the Lord for his protection, trusting him for the promises of his word, but I'm also trusting him to get even. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. A little girl was in a house fire. She was only five years old, and she was the only one left in the house. She was on the second floor of the house, and the firemen were standing outside of her window. They could see her, and they were saying, please jump, please jump. And then they said, Do you, we, 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 will, we will catch you. Please believe us. Please believe us. We will catch you. And the girl would not move. And what, what, what we're going to learn from this illustration is there's a difference between belief and trust. They said, do you believe that we can catch you? Yes. Do you believe that we are serious? Yes. She agreed to everything. She made a, a mental assent. She believed that they could, but she didn't jump. But when her father entered into the scene, and she heard her father's voice and said, baby, jump. She immediately, without hesitation, she leaped from the window into her father's arms. Why did she jump when her father called? Because she trusted her father. She believed the firemen, but she didn't trust them to catch her. I want you to know that you, there are a lot of unbelief. There are Christians who believe the promises of God, but we haven't trusted God. We haven't depended upon him. We haven't rested in the truth of his word. When you trust God, you are absolutely confident that whatever you have led, given to his hands to do, you can release it to him to do. It's not just enough to pass a doctrinal uh, examination and say all the right things and quote Bible verses, but do you trust him? The nation of Israel were on the very brink of getting into the promised land. They knew what God said. I am giving you the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believed it, but they didn't trust. They believed the promise, but they didn't trust the promise, sir. I want you to know until you're acting on your faith, you aren't trusting your faith. You aren't trusting the one who is behind the promises. Somebody say, here's the third thing. We're almost done. Pause to reflect on God's past and present faithfulness for assurance. In verses 8 through 9, take pause, Selah to reflect on how God has been faithful in the past and is presently being faithful for your reason. He says, you have, you have seen my tossing and turning through the night. You have collected all my tears and preserved them in your bottle. You have recorded every one in your book. When I cry out to you, the enemy, my enemies will turn back. They will flee. This I know. 
because you're for me. How does he know that God is for him? Because of God's past track record. He said, when I was tossing at night, when I couldn't sleep, when I didn't know what was going to happen, sometimes I didn't know how I was going to pay a bill. I didn't know when, I, when we got COVID, I didn't know what was going to happen. Trust me, I was afraid. What was I afraid? I was afraid that my, 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 my call that God gave me wouldn't be completed. When I tossed and turned with a fever of 104 for three days. And, and, and my wife and others, thank God for healing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank God that we didn't miss a beat. Praise the Lord. But when I was going through, God was not only aware, but he cares. He cares because he was watching over me. The Bible says he that keeps Israel never slumbers nor sleeps. He's watching over you. Not only is he watching over us when we cry, he says he collects every tear and counts them. That means he's counting them because he wants us to know when we get through this and look back, that not only did he know that we were crying, he collected them and he kept the record for why we were crying. That's going to be your testimony. When I was crying in the midnight hour, when I was lonely and when I was hurting, here's the good news. Here's what we need to understand. What we've been holding in, it's time to cry. It's time to get all this out. It's time to say, Lord, we are on the other side. In Jesus' name, I am crying for all of those who have died. I'm crying out, Lord, for all of those who lost their job. I'm crying out for every day I had to act like I was strong. I don't have to be strong because he who keeps me is strong. Somebody ought to cry out, oh God, oh God, oh God, God, thank you, thank you that what we've gone through has mattered to you. Some of you just need to go somewhere and just give out a yell, just exhale, just get it out. Get it out. We're still walking around bent over. We're still walking around with an issue. We're still walking around in fear and terror. I'm about to release this thing because you have counted my tears. You watched my travail. And God, you said when I cry out to you, the enemy will flee. He has to flee. He has to flee. He has to flee. He has to flee. Oh, one of the hardest things when I'm dealing with people, especially when they're dying and their loved ones couldn't be in there, only two at a time and, and I hear people say, I'm, I'm just trying to be strong. I know they're going to heaven. And then after that person dies, you just hear a wailing. I mean, oh, I mean it's, you can't even describe and the nurses will come in. Could you help them? They know they're being helped. The, one of the greatest uh, instruments of healing that God has given to us is the ability to cry. He hears us when we cry. And then after I let him cry, I said, what are you going to do, Pastor Benson? What are you going to do? I'm doing something right now. I'm letting them cry. And then when they're done, they said, thank you. Thank you. I can go now because they've been holding it in. Some of us need to take a moment. You don't have to do it here. You need to go somewhere and think about all of the stuff that you've gone through. 
and just cry out, Lord, just take all this. It's in there. Pause and reflect on God's past faithfulness and present sustain, his, his sustaining grace. Somebody say amen. Amen. Here's the final thing. Are you with me? Praise God in the midst of your trauma. Say that with me. Praise God in the midst of your trauma. Here's what David says in verses 10 through 13. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. He says it a second time. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere men do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. You have kept my feet from falling. That's, whoa, Lord, that I may walk before you in the light of the living. Now, listen to this. Praise God for his word. What did I be praying to the Lord for? Praise him that he gave you a word. His word has been a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He has directed us, instructed us in the way that we should go. Aren't you glad about that? You can praise him for his word. Praise him for his promises. And we also praise God for his power. He said, I will not be afraid because God's got me. What can my enemy do? What can COVID do? What can a job loss do? The same God who gave me a job, he'll give me another one. Praise God for his power. Aren't you glad that all things are possible through him if we simply believe? Praise God for his provision. He says that, that pledges are binding when you make a pledge to God. And he said, but I thank you for your help. You can make a pledge to God, but the only way you're going to keep it is because of God's provision. He enables us to keep our promises. I know you planned your, brunch, your lunch and your day and your week, but if God doesn't provide, if he doesn't give you the strength, you can't pull it off. And so David said, I'm going to praise you for your provision. You help me keep my promises. And he says, I'm going to praise you finally for your protection. He has delivered my soul from death. I'm here. I, oh, God, you still have something for me to do. I'm yet here. He has kept my feet from falling that I may walk in the presence of the living. Why? To glorify him. Somebody ought to give him some praise right now. Somebody ought to glorify him right now. Just praise him for his protection. He's kept you. He's kept you. He's kept you. He's kept you. I'm going to readjust my focus. Some of you remember the story. Stand with me. Remember the story of the beggar who was at the beautiful gate outside of the Jerusalem temple. And the Bible says that every morning he would be placed there to beg for alms. That was his traumatic experience. He was born with the inability to walk. And on that day, I want you to know his focus was readjusted. He was begging for money when Peter and John approached him. And, and, and that's what he did to get through his trauma, to get through another day, to make his need, to get his needs met. And, 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 but Peter said, I'm about to 
turn your attention from your pain. And I'm going to put your mind on the presence of God. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, such as I have. What do you have, Mr. Peter? What do you have, Mr. John? I give unto you in the name of Jesus. Rise above your trauma. Rise above your pain. Rise above your disappointment. Rise above your confusion. And guess what the man did? He got up, but he didn't just say, oh, I'm glad. No, no, no. The Bible said he broke loose. I want you to know when you want to, when God delivers you from your trauma, you'll break loose. He ran inside the temple and he began to praise God. I can hear that the Bible says he was leaping and shouting and, and giving. Oh, some, some of us, we ain't lame, but we ain't never shouted like that. Until you understand what it means to be delivered, you won't understand how it means, what it requires. I feel like running right now. I don't know about you, but I feel like running right now because the Lord has spared me. The Lord has kept me. He has loosed my lips. He has set me free. He has set me upon a fire, firm foundation. And I bless you today, oh God. Refocus. Look at Jesus. Under the hills, my help comes from the Lord. Somebody ought to give him praise. Give him praise. It's about him. I don't care what nobody else thinks it's there. I want to praise you, Lord. I am going to celebrate the goodness of the Lord in this place. Amen. 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 Hey. I hear that, but yeah, it's been a while since we had some shouting music. It's time to shout. The Lord's been good. Oh, yeah. 